Welcome to the podcast of the Vine Church in Fullerton, California. For more information, visit thevineoc.com. Good morning again, and in this season of Easter, we're in a series, and in this series, we're talking about how Jesus said he came to bring life, and life to the full, and Jesus doesn't just want us to exist, he doesn't just want us to survive, he wants us to know life, and, 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 and that's really what Jesus' resurrection is all about, which is sort of the theme in the backdrop of the season of Easter Jesus' resurrection is all about life and making that possible. And so in this series, we're exploring how we can experience that life and and grow in that together. And one of the things we've seen so far is that although this, this life that Jesus offers, it is free, it is a gift, it is not automatic. That this is something we have to contend for. This is something we have to press into. And, and one of the main roadblocks to experiencing this life over the long haul is failure. And so I, I want to talk about that today because we all experience failures in life. And actually the night uh, that Jesus was arrested before he went to the cross, two of his best friends experienced massive failures, like massive failures. One was Judas and the other was Peter, and and they both denied Jesus, but their response to that failure was radically different, radically different. Jesus, excuse me, Judas rejected the mercy of God, and later we read that he went out and took his life, but Peter, on the other hand, accepted the mercy of God and then went on to become the leader of the church. And so what I want to talk about today is what happens when the mercy of God meets your failure. And we're going to see what we can learn from Peter about how to navigate failure in our lives because we'll all face it in our life. And of course, that can look lots of different ways. There's moral, moral failure, there's business failure, there's financial failure, there's marriage failure, there's relational failure. But what can we learn from Peter in terms of how to navigate all that? And what can we learn about God now he meets us in those moments? in those situations. Now today we're looking at a story of how the resurrected Jesus sat down with Peter by a fire uh, uh, by the Sea of Galilee when Peter's life had just fallen apart and how Jesus meets him in that moment. But first, in order to really, I think, understand what's going on here and really to feel the weight uh, of this story, we need just a bit of context. And so Uh, At the end of Jesus' life, all of his disciples actually let him down. This wasn't just Peter, but Peter's betrayal was actually particularly serious for a few reasons. So first of all, think this, Peter, he was part of not just the 12, but he was part of the inner circle, the three, with uh, himself and James and John. So these were Jesus' closest friends. They spent so much time with him. Uh, Second, he, he... Peter was the only one who absolutely insisted that if Jesus was taken, that, that he would not fall away. And there's one place where Jesus is trying to tell him, you know, I'm going to be arrested, I'm going to be taken, uh, and you're all going to fall away. But in Matthew uh, 26, verse 33, Peter says, even if all the others fall away, I never will. I'm even willing to die for you if it comes to that, Peter says. But of course, as the story goes on, Peter very publicly denies Jesus, not once, not twice, three times. 
Uh, he was in the courtyard when, when Jesus was on trial, and there was a group of people, soldiers and, and servants around a fire. And, and three times he was asked, aren't you a follower of Jesus? And he said, no. And, and eventually he just says, I don't even know him. And he starts cursing, and he's just, he's just so upset. He says, I don't even know him. And, and here's the kicker. As soon as Peter denied Jesus the third time, and only Luke 22 tells us this, that, that Jesus, he comes out, and as he's being led out across the courtyard, he turns toward Peter, and, and it's like they make eye contact. And, and in that moment, the rooster crows, and we are told that Peter went out and wept bitterly. He's just so filled with grief and sorrow and probably self-loathing. He's, he's devastated. He's wrapped with guilt and, and shame and regret. And the question is, how can he move forward after something like that? How, how, how can he live with himself and consider uh, he's not only sort of betrayed his best friend and Lord, he's also shot his career chances of leading this new movement just totally. He just totally shot that, right? So, I mean, how, I mean, his life's totally fallen apart. So, I mean, how can you move past all that? And the answer is the mercy of God. The mercy of God. And here's what you need to know. When we've, it's so amazing in this story that when we mess up, Jesus doesn't come and beat us up. He doesn't kick us while we're down. He doesn't pile on. He comes with mercy because he comes to restore. He wants to heal your life. He's not there to condemn you. He was there to heal and restore you. That's what he is about. And there's just a beautiful picture of this in John chapter 21, which we just read. And I want to walk through this, though. And so, so this is a couple weeks after Jesus' resurrection. So it's kind of similar to where we are. We're a few weeks past Easter right now. So it's kind of a similar thing. And, and Jesus appeared to people and, and ministered over a course of 40 days uh, after his resurrection, before the ascension. And so it says here, starting in verse 1, I just want to walk through this. Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, also known as Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them. Now just think about this. This is only two weeks after the biggest failure in Peter's life. So many scholars think that this is, that Peter's just sort of giving up here, that he's just going back to what he knows because before this, before he started following Jesus, he was a fisherman. He was a professional fisherman. So it seems like he's just going back to what he did before he started following Jesus. And and he's going back to that. And and, and you kind of get this sense of almost discouragement, like he's down here. And so he says, anyone want to go with me? And in verse three, we read, and they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got in the boat. Now think about this. This kind of, this came to mind. When, when Peter was filled with faith, he got out of the boat and walked toward Jesus. But here in this moment, when he's filled with despair, he walks into the boat and sails away from Jesus, as it were. Just this interesting kind of image. Uh, but so not surprisingly, we read, quote, that night they caught nothing. Ever felt like that? <laughs> You've been working like so hard and I've been looking for this job for months. I've been, you know, fished all night and I caught nothing. You know, or, you know, I've been looking to get married for so long. I've fished all night and I've caught nothing. I've been trying to reach out to my neighbors or coworkers or or loved ones. I fished all night and I caught nothing. You ever feel like that? Now, these are professional fishermen. So if anyone should catch fish, it's who? It's these guys, right? Yet they caught nothing. And so this feels to them, of course, like just like another failure. And so verse four says, early in the morning, 
Jesus stood on the shore. Now again, here's these guys, they're in this, under this cloud of discouragement and, 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 and Jesus comes to them. Now think of the mercy in that. Uh, you know, Peter's probably given up and just saying, I'm giving up on this whole, you know, this whole following Jesus thing. And, but just Jesus comes to him, just this image of mercy. And then we read, it says, the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. I just can't help but wonder how many times when we're confused, when we're struggling, when we're lonely, we, we feel like we're alone, uh, but Jesus is coming to us. And he's actually there. And we, 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 it's like we just can't perceive it somehow. So we read in verse five, he called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? Now you can almost just see the smirk on his face here, right? <laughs> and so they answered no, and, and, and they're, they're honest about their failure. Verse six, so he said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Now there are many lessons here, um, but one is that you may have fished all night and caught nothing, but God can do more in five minutes of your life than you can do in 50 years without him. Just think about that. I mean, they'd fished all night and caught nothing, and perhaps you've had a dream you've pursued, or and it just, it's kind of like it's gone nowhere, but when they did what, what Jesus told them to do, they caught more than they could possibly imagine. You see, God can do more in your life just in, in, in three seconds if you listen to him and obey him and do what he says. So they caught all these fish, and that was just so full with fish. And verse seven, then the disciple whom Jesus loved, so John's the author of this account, and he's trying to be subtle, but he's not totally working here. He's the disciple, the disciple whom Jesus loved, you know, kind of pointing to himself. And, 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 it's, and he says, he said to Peter, it is the Lord. Well, yeah, go figure, right? I mean, this guy gave him this advice, and all of a sudden, this miraculous catch of fish. So he has this insight, it's the Lord. And I love what happens next. As soon as we're told, as soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him for he had taken it off. Now, this is kind of a funny detail. Apparently, Peter is fishing in the nude. So, I, you know, I don't know if this was a thing back in the day, but if I was fishing with Peter, I'd be like, bro, put some clothes on. I, I don't know, but as soon as it says, so John goes, it is the Lord. And as soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him for he had taken it off and jumped into the water. Verse eight, the other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish for they were not far from shore, about a hundred yards. Now just try to enter into this scene in, in your mind in a sense, you know, it's like, it's like they've been running from Jesus, been running from this call on their life. Uh, you know, Peter, he feels like a failure. He feels like a loser. But Jesus comes to him, and in his grace and mercy, he pursues him. So verse 9, when, when they landed, it says, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. And so Jesus has kind of got a barbecue going on here. And this reminds me of the story we talked about a couple months ago of Elijah in this moment when he was so down, he was so low, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a similar situation, cooked him some food. Just this expression of mercy and care and love and kindness. Verse 10, Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you have just caught. Now, now, now think about how gracious Jesus is in this moment. He, he didn't say, he could have just rubbed in, oh, by the way, you wouldn't have caught these fish without me, 
You guys caught nothing. So he's just so gracious. Uh, and this story is just, just filled with mercy. So verse 11, so Peter, Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153, but even with so many, the net was not torn. Now that's an, another miracle because if you've read much of the Bible, you know that their nets were just constantly breaking. That when Jesus first met these guys, that they were actually mending their nets on the shore. So nets would break all the time. So the fact that the net didn't break, not only was there the miracle of this huge catch of fish, you know, but secondly, the nets didn't break. So just you see uh, just, uh, just this amazing picture here. So verse 12, so Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. See, he knows they've been working all night, so, so he's caring for them in, in this moment. He's got, like, you know, he's like, I've got these little, like, you know, fish McMuffins and, uh, you know, fresh bread and, you know, fresh fish and a little, maybe a little sauce on the side, and, you know, we're, we're going to have breakfast here. So that's what Jesus said. So then we read, none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Verse 13, Jesus came, took the bread, and gave it to them, and did the same with the fish. So, so, so here's what's happening. Jesus, he's, he's serving them. He's, he's being so kind. He's being so, so gracious. He's cooked them breakfast. And then verse 14, now this was the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. And there are many other times after this, but this is just a, a beautiful story of God's mercy. Now let me just kind of come to your neighborhood for just a moment. So, so think if this was you. Think if you were Jesus, if you were in his shoes. Um, you know that you had these, these, these guys you invested so much in. They were your best homies. And then in your hour of deepest need, when you know, you're going through torture and, 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 and a false kind of sham trial and all these things, like they just they cut and run. They bail on you. They deny even knowing you. And, and then you're killed, but then you come back. What are you going to do? I know what I would be tempted to do, and it wouldn't be cook them breakfast, right? I mean, how many of us would cook them breakfast after all that? After their knives in the back, their faithlessness, their betrayal. But you see, thank God, God's different than us. <laughs> He's got this heart filled with compassion and mercy, and he just keeps loving and loving and loving. And so this meal is just an expression of God's heart of compassion and kindness and mercy, it's amazing, this picture of unconditional love. So beautiful, so beautiful. So when Peter, he's in the depths of his failure, Jesus comes to him with mercy. And so here's, here's just a lesson we can learn from this, is that God's mercy is not dependent on your performance. Hallelujah. God's mercy is not dependent on your performance. I am so thankful for that. The Bible says it like this in Lamentations chapter 3. 22 through 23, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. In other words, it never stops. It never ends. It is unchanging. It's never exhausted. God never gets tired of loving you. And then it goes on. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies are new. Excuse me. His mercies never come to an end. His mercies are new every morning. And what this means is that you can never outrun the mercy of God. Try as you may, you can never outrun the mercy of God. We read Psalm 23 earlier, and in verse six, it says, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me, or another translation says, pursue me all the days of my life. So I don't care how far you've run from God, his mercy is pursuing you because he loves you. Isn't that good news? What an amazing God.
But what does God's mercy do? I, I think the first thing that comes to people's minds is forgiveness. And that, that's, that's, that's right. That is central. Um, because of God's mercy, we can experience forgiveness. And I'll come back to that. But, but there's actually something deeper that God's mercy does. And it's this. It brings healing. It brings hope. It brings transformation. How, how do we see that in this story? Well, let me ask you, what is the significance of the fire in this story? I mean, obviously Jesus needed the fire to cook, but, but I think there's actually something deeper going on. Jesus is, you have to understand, he's like the master physician. He's like the master healer. And so imagine, think about this. When was the last time Peter was with Jesus around a fire? His betrayal. So you can imagine fire became, if you've ever gone through something really hard, you know, things, there's certain things, whenever you see that thing or hear that thing or smell that thing, it becomes like a trigger of that memory of your failure, of your hurt, of your pain. So for, for Peter, no doubt this fire would have been like this trigger and this reminder of his betrayal of Jesus and therefore of his failure. So Jesus is taking him back, not to rub his nose in it, but because Jesus wants to heal him. Jesus wants to redeem that, to take that which was uh, a sign of his failure, to turn that into a sign of his forgiveness. Jesus wants to bring hope and healing to Peter. And so that's, that's what's going on here. But um, now that there's been this lavish display of, of mercy and, and love, Jesus takes this whole process uh, a step deeper. And so in order to navigate failure, in order to really kind of fall forward into God's grace and, and mercy. There's actually, there's, so there's God's part in the process, but there's actually our part in the process. And so we see that in this dialogue that ensues between Peter and Jesus. And I think perhaps some of us here today are stuck in this place. There's God's part. He's pursuing you th- with mercy, but then there's actually our part in this whole process. And so what does that look like? Well, let's take a look here. So they're on the beach. They're at Galilee. Verse 15, when they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, here's the question, do you love me more than these? Now, this is echoing back to a statement at at the Last Supper uh, when Peter said, I love you more than all of these, and I would never deny you. Everybody else may, but I I would never do that. And so Peter replies to Jesus' question. He says, yes, Lord, you know I love you. And Jesus says, feed my lambs. And that's referring to the flock of God, the church. Verse 16, again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord. You, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. In other words, I want you to care for the flock, the, the body of Christ, the church. Verse 17, the third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? You can almost hear the exasperation in Peter's voice here. He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Now, now what's going on here in this, in this interchange? Is, is Jesus kind of being hard on Peter? Is he, is he trying to rub his, rub his, rub his nose in it? Uh, no. Remember, Jesus, he came to give life. So everything he's doing is in the service of life. And so, so what's happening in this interchange? Well, well two things. First of all, Jesus is going to the root issue. Jesus is going to the root issue. Um, I think so often when we struggle with with failure, whether at at the sin level or some other level, I think so often we put all our focus at the behavioral level, right? 
So for example, say you, you struggle with anger and then you think, you know, I, I shouldn't have lashed out like that again. I, I need to stop doing that. Or maybe you, you struggle with lust and you think, oh, I shouldn't have looked at pornography again. I need to stop doing that. But, but far too often I fear, now the behavioral level is important, but I fear sometimes we stop there. We stop there. Because Jesus actually taught what? That all that other stuff, it just flows from where? In here, from our heart. And so that's where Jesus is going here. He's going to the root issue. And what's so fascinating is that in this interchange, notice he doesn't say a single thing about Peter's behavior. He doesn't say, Peter, you know, you got this issue with lying. You know, Peter, you've got this issue with, 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 with being cowardly. You've got this you know, issue with betrayal. He doesn't go to the behavioral level. He goes right to the heart of the matter. And he asks, do you love me? Do you love me? Think about that. That's really the issue. Underneath all our other stuff, what God cares about more than anything else, I want you to hear this, is where is your heart with respect to him? Where is your heart with respect to him? He's asking, do you love me? You have to think about this. Jesus didn't go to all the trouble of becoming incarnate, of thinking about this. The God of the universe taking on the likeness of a human baby and, and, and having to have his diapers changed. He didn't take, go, go through all that and, and go through the pain of this thing called human life and, 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 and the cross and, and, and rise from that just so that you would sin less. God's vision for your life is so much bigger than that. Does he want you to sin less? Yes. But his vision for your life is so much bigger than that. And too often we have what's called the gospel of sin management. And we missed actually the main point which is you being in a relationship of love with the God of the universe who created you and calls you by name. That's what he wants. And so what's happening here is, is Jesus is going to, to, the, to the root of the issue, which involves turning from some things, but also crucially involves, because sometimes we stop there, I'm gonna turn from this sin. No, you also have to turn to something. You have to turn your heart to Jesus. And that's why Jesus is calling Peter to, do you love me? Do you love me? That is the question for all of us here today. So a second thing going on here in this interchange. So Jesus is going to the root issue, but also notice this. He asked Peter this question three times. And so like, what's what's going on with that? Well, Well, think about this. How many times did Peter deny Jesus? Three times, right? And so Jesus is... In, in this moment, he, he's having, making sure Peter, he, he goes back so that he can move forward. He's helping Peter become aware of the reality of his failure and his sin. Again, not so he would wallow in it or to rub his nose in it, but because you can't, he can't bring restoration to something that you won't acknowledge exists, right? Jesus can't bring restoration to something that you won't even acknowledge exists. And I think so often the human temptation is to, to minimize or to evade or to blame shift. We have all these different strategies, but Jesus is trying to really help him get clear on the reality of his failure because that's the only way you can move forward. The only way you can move forward. So he wants Peter to be aware of this so that, not just so that he can have awareness, because I think our culture is all about awareness, and awareness is good. The problem is too often we do nothing with it. And so he wants Peter to not only be aware of his failure, but he wants him to then own it, to own it, to take responsibility for it. And, and, and again, God can't bring restoration to that which we won't acknowledge exists. And so Peter is actually this model for us of, of, of owning our stuff. 
so that we can move forward. And, and, and just you have to look at this conversation. So, I mean, think of this. I mean, Peter, he's not making any excuses. He's not minimizing. He's not blame-shifting. Blame I mean, contrast this with the conversation between God and Adam and Eve in the garden. It's like, well, it was the woman you put here. And you gave her to me, you know, so this is a total opposite situation, you know. It's not blame shifting, he is owning, he's taking responsibility. And, and really to move past your failure, you have to go through it. You can't go around it, you can't go underneath it or over top, you have to go through it. And so that's what Jesus is leading him into. And, and he wants him to learn from this so that he doesn't then take the old stuff into the new situation, right? And so that's what Jesus is up to here. So Peter, he owns his stuff, but just also want to highlight one more thing. He doesn't just own his stuff at a cognitive level, like, yes, I agree, Jesus. This actually touches his heart. We see this very, very clearly uh, in verse 17, after Jesus had asked him, you know, do you love me? He asked him twice. Then the third time, it says, after Jesus asked him, do you love me? It says, Peter was hurt. And, and as one commentator points out that the word hurt here is, is a very strong word in the Greek. And, and it's a word that means to grieve, to, to mourn. And, and so Peter is hurt. He, he starts to grieve. It means to weep. And, and not just because of the consequences of his failure, but because of how it impacted his relationship with Jesus, his friend, his Savior, his Lord. And, and I can tell you that both biblically and experientially, when you get to that place of just brokenness, over your sin, over your stuff. That is what opens you up to the grace and power and mercy of God to come rushing into your life. Psalm 51, verse 17, says a broken and contrite heart God will not despise. When we reach that point, just the power and the mercy of God comes rushing in. And so the invitation for us today is to own our stuff, to take responsibility before God, and then let God come in with his mercy and bring healing and transformation. Now one thing, uh, before we wrap up, I want you to see very clearly is that Peter is restored. Think about that. Peter is restored. This is such good news. That Jesus, he recommissions him. So three times, uh, he denied Jesus, but three times Jesus recommissions him. And he says, feed my sheep, feed, feed my lambs. And, and he commissions him as a pastor to God's flock, the church. And so he's, he's restored in all sorts of ways. Peter's restored in his relationship with Jesus. He's restored publicly in front of his, his, his friends who they know and they saw his betrayal. He's restored uh, in terms of himself and just the, all the inner tor- turmoil he had going on. He's also restored in terms of his purpose and mission in life. It's this beautiful picture of restoration. So just to boil this down, what does that mean for us? If Peter can be restored, so can you, so can I. This means that restoration is possible. Restoration is possible. And you might think, oh gosh, but you don't understand what I've done. Well, I mean, did you deny Jesus three times to his face? Restoration is possible, right? And so one of the teachings of this passage is that no matter who you are, no matter what you've done, restoration is possible. You don't have to live in shame or guilt or regret. You don't have to run from your past. You can be forgiven and restored just like Peter. Just like Peter. Now, just to drive this point home before we wrap up. So one of my favorite scriptures is Psalm 61. And it says, The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a garland 
instead of ashes. So he wants to give you a garland in place of your ashes. He wants to give you flowers in place of your failures. He's saying, wherever you've had a failure, you've had ashes, I'm going to make it flowers. I'm going to give you, and it goes on, the oil of joy instead of mourning. A garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They'll be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. They will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the places long devastated. They'll renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. Now, who is this talking about? This is talking about the people who failed. The people who had ashes and he brings them flowers. The people who are depressed and he gives them a garment of praise. And so the question for all of us today is, will we receive God's mercy? Will we receive God's mercy? Just, I'd like to invite the band come up as we wrap up. Now, at the beginning of this message, I made reference to just this contrast between Judas and Peter. And, and both of them were friends of Jesus, and both of them actually committed the same sin. Both of them denied Jesus. Yet again, their response and therefore the outcome in their lives was radically different. And, and you have to see that failure, it can either it can make you or it can break you. And so the question for us today is, will we respond like Judas or will we respond like Peter? And, and so we have a choice. You know, J- J- Judas, he had a breakdown. Peter had a breakthrough. <laughs> Judas rejected the mercy of God. Peter accepted the mercy of God. Jesus lived in condemnation. Peter lived in celebration of the mercy of God. Judas ended up taking his life in despair, but Peter ended up living his life in service of God and other people. And that's really the choice we make. And you have to just, last thought, think about this. A mere 50 days after Peter's biggest failure, God chose him, this guy who, who felt like a loser, who felt like just he messed up so bad that he, just, that, that he, he had no hope, God chose him to be the one to preach on the day of Pentecost. And that day, the Christian church was born and 3,000 people came to faith and were baptized. And that, my friends, is the mercy of God. Amen? Let's pray together. Father, we, we thank you that you are still in the business of redeeming and restoring lives. We thank you for the hope we have in you. We thank you that your mercy is unceasing, that we can't outrun your love and grace. So Lord, I just pray for a fresh dose of hope for everyone here today, for everyone listening online. God, and I pray that you would give us the grace even now to receive your mercy afresh and to live renewed lives like Peter. Lord, would you go to those deep places in our hearts, the places where we've been hiding, the places where we've had unbelief, the places where we've had fear or condemnation, Would you come and bring your light and your light and your transformation? We receive your mercy today, Jesus. And just, you might just want to take a moment. This is resonating with you. I want to just whisper to God, Jesus, I receive your mercy today. Jesus, I receive your mercy today. Lord, that is our prayer. Amen. Amen.